The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop. My name is Charlie Clawson and my guest this week, my returning guest is comedian, TV presenter, viral sensation, Cam Knight. Is that true? Thank you. Thanks for bringing up my herpes, Charlie. (laughs) I'm sure that's what everybody wanted to hear, that I get cold sores. No, Um, you went viral. I saw the video you did with Luke Heggie, the bottle bottle one where you're just like insulting each other for three minutes. It's been everywhere. It has been. Thank you. I thought you were talking about the one that I did with my parents because that went viral during lockdown as well. I forgot about that. You're you're double viral. I'm double viral, mate. I'm I'm doing it. I'm getting in there. But no, the the first one with my parents was weird because I posted it on Instagram and it did go sort of viral for me on Instagram. But someone stole it from Instagram, put it on their TikTok, and then it just went completely bonkers with zero crediting. Ah. like someone, a couple of people posted it on Facebook and it got like nearly a million views. And um, thankfully, lots of people got in my corner and went in the comment section and just kept crediting me. Right. And this is Cam Knights and tagging me until the guy messaged me and just said, so sorry, we get sent a lot of stuff. I'll credit you now after the fact. It was still like, thank you. That was cool. So consequently, I'm now on TikTok because I just thought I'd better go in there and put my flag down and it's, go. But that's that's why that one with uh, Heggy went off. That was my first post. That's that's uh, but th- that's the business model for a bunch of these kind of meme accounts, right? Like, isn't yeah. that fuck fuck Jerry their entire business model? The guys yeah. who were you know uh, had plausible deniability for Firefest, uh, but they yeah. they steal content all the time. I think I saw. Tom Cashman had like some TikTok or some video that he did that went viral and he posted the exchange he had with the guy who reposted it and this guy was yeah, basically yeah, like... Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. The guy's just giving him shit back. Like yeah. he's doubling down, just like basically just told him to fuck off. And it's... But there's sort of nothing you can do about it and that's like TikTok to me seems... It can be... I mean, for me, I can't complain. Like I've only been on there for a week and everything I've done on there that I've posted has gone very well because it seems to reward good quality content, but also it seems to be a bit of a thieves den. Mm. You know, it's kind of like the wild west out there and people can say and do what they want, just rip stuff. So, um, I mean, you just got to be prepared for that. You know, I have a friend who on Instagram just posts memes. Like I guess it is in effect a meme account and I'm all, I, but I never see him crediting other people. And I'm like, I don't think he's coming up with all this content. Like I think he's just like grabbing something that he thinks is funny and reposting it. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of that. You should ask him at least, you know. Well, it's just, that caused trouble. Would uh, you not friend anymore? I mean, I know with Fosdyke, who does, you know, all the TOEFOP artwork and stuff, like yeah. his shit gets ripped off constantly. Like I get sent, um, you know, targeted advertising for forfeited TOEFOP merchandise. It's fucking oh, really? crazy. Yeah. Like yeah, right. we had this whole running joke about the biggest horse in all of Norway and FOFOP. Uh, Fosdyke created some original artwork, a really cool poster for it. And mm. then I started getting sent um, different artwork for the biggest horse in all of Norway that was much more like just a different style of illustration. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like why would he come up with like a second 
version of the artwork when the first one was so cool and much better. And then I, I looked at the who was credited to, and it's just a completely different, probably some you know probably bot that just goes around and scours whatever's trending and 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 steals the IP or something. Yeah, it's so weird that that's allowed, and then counterfeit art like proper. You know, you're not allowed to copies. You know, like the a Mona band Lisa. Up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you can buy a print of it, but if you're seen to be actually repainting and distributing, like you'll go to jail. But online it just is like I said, it's the wild west. It's it's insane. Well, but- it's it's also they make it incredibly difficult for you to chase them up. Like I know previously when Foz when it was rampant, like he it was almost like he would post a new design to our Redbubble page and then there'd be like four versions of it straight away on all wow. these like t-shirt websites. Yeah. And he sent me the correspondence of him, you know, and like it feels like you are talking to a robot because it is so convoluted and you have to prove that it's yours. Like that, or they put all the onus on you, even though they are displaying, you know, a, a, a forfeited designs. And yeah. so he even engaged a lawyer at one point who contacted Will and I, and we had to sort of give statements and all this kind of stuff. And she said, it's just a rabbit hole. Like you say, it's the wild, wild west. And you strike one down, they'll just take their sweet ass time to remove it. And in that time, maybe they've set up a new account or another, another website or they own multiple, you know, T-shirt companies, websites. Well, they'll just farm it off to the next one and then that'll pop up. So you're just constantly chasing shadows. Yeah. Just be, I'm thinking of starting my own site. It's just called Jimmy Fuzz Dick. <laughs> um, it's just every drawing is going to be a dick and balls. But <laughs> no, I love James Fosdyke. I think that's pretty good. He, he draws a, an exceptional dick and balls, does James. Loves it. He loves it. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty much, I don't know if it's a bit a threat, but he has told me that I'm because I'm just, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my artwork. I've got like a bunch of framed Fosdikes on the wall. He says there's dicks in most. He hides dicks in a lot Excellent. of designs. In fact, I did this little behind the scenes video that people can find on Tofop TV on YouTube, where yeah. I spent a day with Foz to show people how he creates the artwork. And he literally, just for fun, will draw dicks into the background and then put a layer over it. So even though you can't see it, just he knows that there's a giant dick behind that tree. <laughs> I love everything about that. I In one of the um, Botlo clips that I posted a couple of months ago, um, there's, a, there's a subliminal dick flash um, in the scene. It just goes bloop, um, behind, <laughs> behind me. And you, no one, there's only like one person has just commented, what was that? What was it? And it's like, you need, you deserve to know now because you asked and you noticed and it was a dick and they just thought it was great. It's just that sort of, you know, how Fight Club did it. And yeah. do you I remember, don't know, it's just fun knowing that it's, it exists and it's up there and no one said no. Yeah. Do you remember <laughs> when the big gig was on that the Empty Pockets used to do that? No, no. Yeah, so Matt, Matt Quarterman and the other Matt, I can't remember his name, um, they had these characters, I can't, geez, I can't remember what they were called, but they were just these like Bogan Buffhead, you know, blue singlet wearing Australian guys who would yell at the camera. And there'd always be a moment in that sketch where they would play a clip of a porno. They would just show like split seconds. Yeah. And I remember like this is in the era of VHS, yeah. me recording the big gig, waiting till no one was home. And then like freeze framing and saying they never showed anything explicit. It's always like just left or just right. I've seen something. But for like a 10-year-old, that's as good as yeah, showing yeah. me everything. Yeah, you were at that moment at 10 years old, you were getting off on just, you know, photographs of women in Burleigh bras in your mum's That's right. Yeah, you get you the know. Kmart catalogue. <laughs> well, I remember I had a tape at home when I was a teenager where – it seemed to be like, you know, in the early 90s, 
Saturday night was your goldmine for kind of exploitation cinema. Like normally about 10.30 on Channel 9 or SBS definitely on a weekend. You do, you do your research, Cam. <laughs> you would find out what was listed and then you would, you know, find out, oh, this is uh, rated like MA for nudity or whatever. And so I would. It was easy to know if it was going to be good too, though, because it would say AO. Back yeah, then it was, it was AO. That's right. And then they upgraded from AO with a bunch of other letters to let you know what was in it. Yeah. So it's just like V for violence. and um, But it was always. If nudity? It was, if it was an N, you were like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching an end show for sure. I'm getting into it. Well, I would I would stay up with my um, uh, my VCR ready to go, ready to record, and I was so diligent. I would just hit record as soon as boobs came on the screen, and then stop it when the boobs were done. <laughs> so by the end of like a year, I just had a tape filled with just all the boob scenes from like you know a bunch of like TNA comedies and maybe some arty French films and stuff. But you I. Ever your friends like that like well, you would have been a king. no i think it's just private use but <laughs> <laughs> you know personal use you're allowed to keep one tape but i remember <laughs> i got too cocky and yeah. at one point i left the tape in the machine and i remember my sister she didn't put it on but she ejected the tape and i had some strange like what i thought was you know encrypted Encrypted labeling, you know, like T and A, like no one else you could actually. No, you spelt boobs. You let you use numbers to write yeah, boobs. Fi- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember she was like, "What's that?" And rather than if I had, you know, I'd be a terrible, like, you know, criminal. Rather than just play it cool and be like, "I don't know," let me just put it back on the shelf. Why don't you know? Why don't we put on something you want to watch? I flipped out like I literally leapt across the room and wrestled it from her hands. And so then, of course, she was trying to get it off me so she could put it in. I managed right. to like wrench it from her grasp. And I don't know what I did with it, but I feel like I destroyed it. <laughs> like my shame <laughs> immediately took it to the road and just smashed it into a million pieces. I can sort of imagine you more just like wrapping it up in glad wrap and burying it so that one day someone will find it like a time capsule in a yard. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever do a time capsule? Yeah, we did, but it was just sort of shit. It was like it was that Marbles. school. Well, it was just like, you know, glued macaroni and fucking pictures of, you know, hand-drawn pictures of kids' cats. Oh, you did and, it for school. You didn't do your own one. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do my own. It was just more like that was just something we did. And then they, I don't know if it's still there, if they've ever dug it up. But it was sort of when I was doing it, I kind of thought this is weird. Even though I was young, I didn't think it was uh, interesting enough, you know, because we just, I think we just sent back then as well. Remember, we sent that satellite out into space yeah. and it had music on that gold Record. disc. And I'm thinking that's way cooler than this glued fucking macaroni train I just made on a piece of cardboard, you know. Yeah, what future advanced civilization is going to dig this up and go? Aliens will come down and see that and go, these people were idiots. I don't think it was for aliens. (laughs) No, the satellite satellite was for aliens. The macaroni was for future civilizations, Cam. Yeah, I'm just imagining the the whole world's wiped out and aliens land and then they just discover this and go, well, no wonder... No wonder they, they their life ended. They just glued their food to paper and they worshipped these animals that fucking most part ignored them. <laughs> I remember my neighbour when I was growing up, um, he had a little brother, Greg. Martin was my mate. And we decided to he – was a, he was a bit of a, like a, a nervous kid, like, you know, easily – you can make him cry easily. And so, of course, being his older brother, that, you know, he didn't miss an opportunity to make him cry. And so we – set up this prank where we um, 
buried some like cheap ass jewelry. I think I grabbed some cheap ass jewelry from my mum's, you know, cupboard or something like that and put it in this what looked like a like a lock box and and buried it with a note saying that it was cursed. It came with a terrible curse. <laughs> and then we buried it in my backyard and then went back to Marty's place. And we said to Greg, hey, do you want to go treasure hunting? We should go treasure hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, you know, we dug a few different places. Oh, nothing. And then Greg, why didn't you, why didn't you dig under that tree over there? And so he went over and dug up. And we're like, wow, wow. Because he's got a box and there's jewelry. And we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're going to be on the news. And then what does that note say? <laughs> so he opens this note. And it's like, whoever finds this treasure is now <laughs> inherited a terrible curse or some shit. <laughs> I remember he just like burst into tears and then having to explain to his mum what, <laughs> what we had done. That's so good. How long did he not believe that when you said, no, 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 I did it? Did you tell him that you did it? Yeah, yeah, no, no. We told it well because he his defense was always, or his fallback position was always to go to his parents. Which sometimes yeah. he it, like I understand that, but that's got to be your last option as a kid to go to tell on mum and dad. Like I think you need to just tough it out a bit. But he oh, would he so, when huh? it's a curse, you right. definitely got to call your mum and dad. Really? Yeah. Oh, a curse! A curse is pretty. It's a it's the real deal, you know. So you. Perhaps you're like calling him names or not letting him have a kick of the footy. You know, they're playing piggy in the middle and he's never getting it. That's when you're like, all right, simmer down, champion. But this is a curse, child. Well, we should have known because he was the kind of kid who would call his parents when he wasn't getting a kick of the footy. Like it was annoying at some point to, to play games with him and stuff because he took any kind of affront or opposition as being like uh, he'd been victimized. And so then he'd call in the big guns and his parents never believed us. Like I think because we were older we had the response, well, you've got boys. I mean, how does it work? Like, does the older sibling, you always expect more of them because of their seniority? Uh, no, I just, ex- I, I just, do I expect more of them because of their seniority? Like if there's a dispute between the two of them, Usually, but do you ever like, say, hey, Arch, come on, man, like you should know better. You, I, you should give I, your brother a go. That's what it was always like, Marty, you should give him a go. You should let him you know, have I'd it. Say, I do say ease up on him a lot because he is a bit more bossy. But also on the flip side of that, the youngest has now got to a point where he knows that his brother's going to be bossy and shuts down any play. So if they're playing in the playroom with the Lego and Archie will come in, Oscar will just go, you're not playing with me, get out. And then he might just even just immediately flare up and start punching on. Like he's already got this really (laughs) full-on instinctive reaction to defend his stuff. Yeah, right. Because he wants to play his own game and Archie doesn't know how to yes and. And I'm trying to teach them how to yes and and play and and incorporate, you know, their own each other's ideas into the play and stuff. And so then I don't have to get down there and mediate between the two while they're just chucking bricks at each other. So it's sort of... Yeah, there's times when I do say, um, you know, you're the older brother and you've got to sort of, you know, just give him a give him a break. Stop calling him baby would be nice because right. he is five. And remember, you were five once as well. And does that mean you were a baby? Um, you know, it's just sort of having to remind him that he's not that much older or important as his, <laughs> than his younger brother. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's tough. You were the, where were you, you, you're the youngest in your family or you're the, of, yeah, yeah. Of two, right? No, yeah, I just have my sister, but she was eight years older than me. So I had um, a very different experience because yeah. she was sort of not really into me for a very long time. She just had different things to do. Like when she was 16, you know, I'm eight. She mm. doesn't want to hang out with me. She was off, 
you know, doing her own thing. And I mean, you were allowed to smoke when you were 16 back then. So I guess she was off smoking. And Is that right? A... Yeah. I remember when I was 16, I was allowed to buy cigarettes from the pub and I did. I don't yeah. think. This is also, I was in a country town of less oh, than right. a thousand people. I mean, we were underage drinking for a very long time too. But I think, yeah, back then you were allowed to smoke when you were 16. So she had not much to do with me. Um, I think I was pretty much just a pain in the ass. Mm. So we fight a lot. Um, you and would she fight. Oh, man, she, I remember one time we were having an argument and she just knew how to level that. So she just stepped back and then fully kicked me in the nuts and dropped me to the ground. And I just went... I'm never going to be able to win against this person. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a, I've got a sister. About this. Oh, so I cursed her. <laughs> you buried some treasure. <laughs> hey, just uh, go dig over there. Can we, can I tell you something? Do you remember one of my old housemates? Do you remember Craig, Craig Barfoot? Yeah. Okay. So for a while, he, um, he took this job when we were in our twenties and living together. He was working at his mate's dad's, um, factory, warehouse factory, assembling, um, assembling wheelbarrows right? and and he just he'd do a few of these weird little prank things just for his own entertainment but also in the hope that one day perhaps someday would someone would find this stuff and it may um just entertain them a tad so you know when you you know on the wheelbarrows you've got the the metal bucket yeah. thing then there's usually a wooden beam buffer mm-hmm. and then that's screwed into the bucket. Then that's then screwed into the, the legs of the wheel mm-hmm. frame, right? So the wood beam, uh, it was actually two beams joined together and he wrote on a number of them these little notes which stated um, that, well, it was pleading for help saying that he was held prisoner in this, uh, in this warehouse of this address uh, being forced to... Uh, assemble wheelbarrows <laughs> against his will, and if somebody could find, you know, come and find him and help him, that'd be great. And they went out; they went out and sold at, you know, Bunnings and shit. So if that's- someone ever broke a wheelbarrow and had to put a mount together, they may discover this little note in there, handwritten. Handwritten. Yeah, right. That yeah. seems legitimate. Like I reckon. He, he used to write, you know, on those postage paid Australia. You know, you can return post things. He just used to write letters to some people. He just like, you know, just asking them how they were and hoping that they were having a wonderful day. And like mm. he'd write a full A4 page letter and then send it back, like in the hope that someone to just open that and it just might change their day from being mundane to something interesting as well. My favorite thing to do currently, well, not currently, but in, in recent memory <laughs> is, you know, when you're doing your live chat with someone, like you're on the phone with Telstra or something like, you know, why don't you do a live chat instead of waiting on the phone? I love to question whether or not the person is AI or not. Oh, yeah. And if they say, no, you're talking to a real person, I don't believe them. <laughs> and I start <laughs> quizzing them to prove that they're human. How do you do that? What questions do you ask of an AI to prove that they're human? Uh, what is love? <laughs> Describe <laughs> what love is. Like generally what happens is they try and get back to the, you know, the topic at hand, like uh, fixing my internet connection or whatever it is. And I just start asking them a series of questions. <laughs> and if they ever answer correctly, I'm like, well, that sounds like something a, a robot <laughs> would say. And it's just Brilliant. like, I highly recommend trying that. Because sometimes I actually think that a couple of times it has been actual AI that's been trying to trick me. I think it's the ex machina test. I feel yeah. like, because I'm, it's got to be like I was listening uh, when I was at the supermarket today. You know, um, when you're doing this self uh, scanning checkout and it's telling you, you know, wait for attendant, all that kind of stuff. 
Mm. I'm like, oh, I wonder who the voiceover artist is for that. And then I'm like, maybe there isn't a voiceover artist. Maybe they've just generated that. I mean, they have the technology now where they can completely generate a voice from scratch. Wow. So, because I think like initially with Siri and stuff, I know actors who auditioned to be the voice of Siri. Mm. But nowadays, like I've heard a couple of um, deep fakes, audio deep fakes of, you know, celebrities' voices and stuff, which leads me to believe that, well, you know, if you can take a, like they did one of Joe Rogan, you can take that and you just tweak the tone or the pitch or whatever and suddenly you have a completely copyright-free voice that you can use to voice all your automation. And mm. I don't, I think it'll get to a point in our lifetimes where, you just won't know. Like you'll call someone up and you'll think that you're talking to a human. You just won't be aware of the fact that this company switched to AI and you'll be exchanging with a computer. I mean, it's probably already happened. Definitely that the when you when you text uh, one of the, some of those companies, they'll sort of state up front that it's like an automated helper or whatever. Mm. But I reckon that will get more and more advanced. Have you seen that Val Kilmer documentary? The No. Which, which one? The one where he loses his voice? Are they replacing his voice with an AI voice because he has cancer? Have you? Well, not it's that. actually me trying to make a joke, but also thinking, did they do that? Yes. Yeah, oh, 100%. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the documentary is not about that. The documentary is just about his life. But after we watched it, because I was like, oh, fuck, that's, you know, it's one of the great uh, tools that Val Kilmer had at his disposal was his voice. You know, he had an amazing voice and, um, you know, played Jim Morrison, played Doc Holliday, was really good with accents and stuff. And then that gets taken away from him. But then I, I started following him on social media and he's been posting this, I don't know, like experimental, I don't know what they, you know, they work in some kind of uh, speech, uh, speech rebuilding technology or something. But yeah. they've, from the hours and hours and hours of, of footage of him, they've been able to reconstruct his voice. Which no, but which film are they going to take it from? Are they going oh, yeah, to make right. it yeah. with Doc Holiday forever, yeah. or can he chop and change? You who I'll be a Huckleberry, or whatever you know. Like if he wants to, um, well, they played a they played yeah. a sample of it, and it, it just sounded like Val Kilmer. It just sounded like I don't know generic Val Kilmer. But the idea because he. He can vote. He comes in and goes, hi, I am the lizard king. <laughs> yeah, oh, really think, ah, oh, Val's here. <laughs> well, you, you know what would be great would be if you could have modes you could change into. Like just say mm. you did, you had throat yeah. cancer or for whatever reason, but then yeah. you could license like, oh, I want to sound like Chuck D. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Base, how low can you go? I mean, that'd I be amazing. You can't do that though. You're white. That just wouldn't work. That's, <laughs> that's appropriation, is that's it? Like, yeah, it's black throat. You but can't. hang on. But there's lots of white singers. Like Tom Jones uh, sings like he's like a like a soul singer. Like, isn't is that appropriation? Adele yeah, but you specifically said you want to have his oh, voice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. So, okay. All right. <laughs> Whose voice would I get then? What is what is culturally appropriate? Can I? Does it have to be Australian or or can I just Did any you white? Say you wanted to sound like a rapper, and then that could generically piece it together from maybe in um, things that you'd want to be like. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I guess. You I mean, so it's just a completely original voice. I just say yeah, I, want yeah. a, I want a deep Chuck D-esque voice without sounding like I'm black. Yeah, yeah. Not because I don't want to sound black. <laughs> it doesn't make that clear. Just because I don't want to, I don't want to culturally appropriate. Is that yeah, making sense? Well, this, is a, this is a yeah. nightmare. The minefield. Let's not do this. <laughs> Could I get... Could I get Axl Rose singing voice as my speaking voice? So it's just like that, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. Or when he does his deep, or when he does his deep, you know, double talking jab. That one. 
Yeah, I think you, that, that that's totally fine. That would be pretty amazing, though. I don't think anyone would want to talk to you for very long, though. No. I, did I tell you Jim got me a um, – for my birthday, she got me an authentic vintage Guns N' Roses there, 1992, 93, used her illusion to a singlet, like it's from – I just saw you post that. Is that. That's what you went to, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's so – crazy hot. You hadn't drunk any water and – well, Cam, uh, funny you should bring that up because I've actually found an article here that I wanted to read to you because I know that you're a big Gunners fan. Whenever I listen to Guns N' Roses, I often think of you because you are the only person I know who thinks Estranged is like one of the best songs that Guns N' Roses ever released. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I must admit, like when I got the singlet and I was feeling nostalgic and I put on some Gunners and I was listening to it and it's, it's such a shame that no one reeled Axel in between Appetite for Destruction and Use Your Illusion 2, 1 and 2, because I think between 1 and 2, there is a great one album, but yes. they just had too much creative freedom, or he yes. had too much creative freedom. And if I've read Slash's book, and he, by that stage, I think he and Duff were so deep into heroin, no one yeah. was really like steering the ship apart from Axel. Mm -hmm. And so Axel's like, oh, we're going to bring in strings and. And they had like a big synth as well that like a lot of that orchestral stuff in November Rain stuff is all synth. It's not like they actually had real strings. And I just think it sounds shit. Like if you think of Appetite for Destruction, it's like a straight ahead rock and roll album. It's just yes. like lean and mean. It's balls to the wall um, rock and roll. And a lot of the content is filthy and just wouldn't fly in this day and age. Nah. Um, but yeah, like I remember when I first heard Use Your Illusion 1, um, I didn't know what it was. Somebody just had it on cassette and it was um, it was a dubbing and they just chucked it in. It didn't say Guns N' Roses or GNR or anything on there and they played it and I didn't know what it was and had and was and thought it was quite amazing. But then also, you know, that whole, it got into that weird, you want to step into my world. Oh, yeah. Sugar Society, state of bliss. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, but then also I just thought, what is going on here? But then I also just love that, um, that ghost roll, you pogs in the press and want to start shit. Lives and, you know, all of that sort of, I thought that was quite amazing from getting the ring too. And it was, um, well, you know, yeah, uh, my mind for a minute, because it was just him just really taking, making a point. Well, it's funny, but, isn't it? Because I was listening to Sergeant Peppers last night while Iona was in the bath. And I was like, this is a fucking hilarious album because it starts and ends as a concept album. Sergeant Peppers, Lonely Hearts Club Band. And then it's like, they're like, oh shit, we don't have enough ideas to feed into this concept. So let's just, hey, who's got a song? Oh, okay, George, you've got like a sitar song. We'll throw that in. Um, yeah. uh, Paul, you've got like a, a pub hall song. We'll throw that in. All right. And then so the what middle. What do you got, Ringo? Yeah. What do you got? I got to suit about a submarine. <laughs> yeah. So the whole, the whole middle is is just yeah. like completely uneven. And yeah. and it's like on one hand you look at it and go, this is a mess. Like it's just, it's all over the shop. But then on the other hand you're like, well, but it's also completely creative and it's like yeah. they, it's not predictable. And, 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 and so I'm not really sure, you know, the Beatles I think or with Sgt. Pepper's because of when it was released, you can sort of, be assured that, okay, this is a bit more experimental. But then with, you know, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, I'm not comparing the two albums, but obviously that's what Axel was doing. It's like, I don't want to do another straight-ahead yeah. album. I want to be more like yeah. Queen or I want to be more like, I don't know. Uh, more like, it was also felt like his own sort of Brian Wilson moment too, yes. you know, from the Beach Boys. Like he went off, he did a lot of drugs, he kind of lost his mind and he locked himself into a studio and tried to create two albums. That's kind of how it felt, even though like, well, if you, you look know, at what happened with Chinese Democracy, which came afterwards, it took like 14 years to release and it's 
garbage. A dog shit album. You yeah. can see the progression from yeah. from uh, Appetite to use like that's the direction he was heading in. Yeah. Anyway, if they just had like stronger management or bandmates who had a bit more control or say in the direction of the band, then maybe we could have got like another great kind of rock and roll album. Yeah. Um, but I was going to well, say... Use Your Illusion 1 is the superior album out of the two. I am going to go on record as saying that. And they could have used 2 as just a B-side release and they didn't need to release it as two separate albums. But, you know, you get the idea. The, um, it's a bit what? trivia around, you know, getting the ring, the Bob Guccione Jr., so yeah. apparently, uh, Bob Guccini Jr. is like a triple black belt <laughs> in like oh, jiu-jitsu. So when that song came out, he was like, fuck it, yeah, I'll fight him. And then like so that, that, so that he got his people to get in touch with like gun, gunners management and said, when and where? Like, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you. Where, where do you want to go? And then apparently Axel completely backed out of the fight. Yeah, so that's, Axel, Axel woke up after a cocaine binge and saw all the messages and went, what did I, what did what, I say? What did I say? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the one song at the 93 concert at Calder Park that I, everyone was hanging to hear. Like it was kind of like we all expected that was going to be either the encore or something because it's such a, you know, it's just a fucking hilarious, ridiculous like fight song. Yeah. But I think maybe by that time, <laughs> Axel's like, oh, shit, I don't want to piss off Bob Guccione Jr. That's yeah, Finn. I'm not that angry anymore at this guy. I've grown up now, you know. I've made amends. Like, why do I still need to shout? I want to fight this prick. Yeah, that makes sense. I um, it's interesting though. Like, I the, I only saw them play once, and that was when they came out last. You know, the last time they were here. Yeah, yeah. I never got to see them when I was younger, and but I had an I had the same experience. Like, it was I think it was like 45 degree heat. Um, oh right. Yeah, but we were fortunate. Like we dropped a lot of money to see them. I was like, if I'm going to see them, I'll go right up the front. But like, I just—I think I'd only just stopped drinking then too. And so I'm waiting for Guns and Roses to come on. I thought this is the la- this is the least rock and roll thing mm. I can do right now. I'm sitting there waiting for them to come on, watching Rose Tattoo, eating a fucking frosty fruit. <laughs> 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 used to be just like trying to sneak booze in in a bloody cowboy boot and now I'm eating a bloody icy pole. Well, I've had three, I've seen them three times, three versions of them. So I saw the Calder Park one, which was kind of, you know, the original lineup. And then a mate of mine in like the mid 2000s had a ticket to see when it was Buckethead was the lead guitarist. It was basically Axel and a, a cover band. Yeah. And, and that was such a weird experience because – the band were awesome. Like they were really, really tight, but they sounded exactly like the albums. Like there was something that did not gel. Like you're used to sort of seeing a band and you know you're going to hear the songs, but generally in a concert you're getting like a different vibe of it because it's, you know, the yeah. original musicians and they're giving – they don't want to play the same shit, so they'll give you a little version of the song. Um, but the weirdest part was – so the mates I was with were like old headbangers from way back. And we were just sort of sitting there, standing there, you know, arms folded the whole time, just not enjoying this concert. Yeah. And then at the end, though, we and the lights came up, we realised there's heaps of teenagers there, like, you know, 10, 15 years younger than us. And they were buzzing and they had the merch on and they were so stoked. And I was like, oh, I guess this is like the equivalent of us going to go see like Paul McCartney in Wings or something like that. And they play some Beatles oh. tunes and like our parents are like, oh, my God, this is fine. This is lame. But we would be like, oh, my God, that's like a Beatle up there. You know, for those yeah. kids, it's like, well – one Axel is, and you know, back then there was no prospect of seeing Guns N' Roses together ever again. 
but then Axel Brooklyn, because when I saw Axel at that concert, um, you know, a few years back, he was he had so much fake tan on and he gained so much weight. He looked like Donald Trump, des- you know, dressed up as him for Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw them in LA, um, yeah. and it was like it was massive. They'd, they'd done like a, I think it was, it was part of that same tour, but it was the second leg. You know how sometimes they'll do a world tour and then when they get back to where they started, they'll just do another national tour. So it was that stage of it. So they've been running it in for a year and they still had huge audiences. Like this is like the third night at the Staples Center or whatever. Um, And I thought they sounded really great. Like Slash is still an incredible guitarist. But yeah, yeah, Axel is too unfit. He he can't run around in his boxer shorts anymore. Yeah, and and but his voice, he can't hold the notes either because that falsetto he does has got to be super harsh on your throat. And I remember, yeah. I can't remember who the guest was, but it was someone big like Dave Grohl or or someone from the Chili Peppers came out to do like the encore. And I was like, oh, that guy's only a few years younger than you, but he seems a lot fitter. <laughs> like he seems to have more energy and his voice sounds heaps yeah. better. I mean, it might just be a result of just singing like he has for the last 30 years. Yeah, all the coke and the drinking wouldn't have helped for that, you know, vocal folds as well though. Yeah. You know? I, mem- could- I remember Blondie came out. Um, a while back, about 10 years ago, it was when I was doing Home and Away. And Gem and I went to see, went to this festival to see Blondie. And there's a couple of the young kids from Home and Away were there as well. And we're like, oh, come see this band Blondie. They're like, who's Blondie? And so we, you know, give them the whole history of the new wave punk movement and Deborah, Deborah Harry, you know, she's beautiful, but she was cool and blah, 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 blah. And so we get into front of the stage and it starts and the band sounds okay, but Debbie Harry comes out and she's wearing this like, weird kind of leopard print kind of trench coat and she's got this big Tina Turner wig on and giant glasses and she's really heavy and she comes up and she starts warbling in the microphone and it sounds awful and one of the kids turns to me and goes is that guy Blondie? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man is that or is that Yoko Ono dressed up as yeah Sounds fucking hell, man. I'm going to see a band soon in December. I can't wait, man. I missed it. Like, you know, going back, like, I remember we saw, I saw Slash's band play at Soundwave when they were out. Yeah, and they sounded, you're right, though. They did, I think they just do hire very, very accomplished studio um, musicians who just know how to play the formula and the technique. They don't want to step out of it. And it was the same thing. The singer was exceptional. And I think he, Still, you know, he sang with them for ages. He's and he's got his own solo albums and stuff. I can't remember his name, but um, it was he was great to watch. But the whole thing was the same thing. It was just like, man, this is paint by numbers, you know, Guns and Roses. So Slash even. would the, so Slash a Snake Pit. They'd play Gunner's songs. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the Slash does, like he'll step out and go nuts, and that's great to watch because you just want to see him do that. Yeah, then they'll get into the song. Um, and and play, but like the crowd wasn't really enthused or into it or anything like that. And um, that was the same year, I think, that I saw. Man, Jesus, I, how's this stuff going with that? With all those deaths with that um, Travis? Oh yeah, it's awful. Um, I was just talking about that, just going, man, I don't know if I could ever get in a pit again. The last time I was in it was at Soundwave, and I was happy to be there because I'd, I'd a Soundgarden were on just before them, and back when I went to my first ever big day out when I was 17, 
um, we took acid and I basically only saw maybe snippets of bands. And, you know, this is when the Ramones were on and Bjork was on and, um, and Smashing Pumpkins were there and, and Soundgarden as well. It was a huge, huge, huge lineup. And I remember things just in flashes. Like I went, oh, there's that band for a minute and there's that band for a minute and there's that band for a minute. But then it had sort of worn off a little bit enough for me to know I need to go and see Soundgarden. And we're there and we're waiting for Soundgarden to start. And they started with the opening of Jesus Christ pose. And then the girls that I was with started having a really bad come down and just went, we got to go. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I had to take them out and take them home. So I never got to see. Oh, wow. So I finally got to see them six years ago. I'm sitting there up the front and I'm getting, you know, sort of knocked around and it's okay. It's not too hectic. And, um, it was brilliant just to see Chris and, uh, you know, a memorable experience. But Iron Maiden came on. Now, I thought this is going to be fine. Everyone's fucking ancient. Mm. They're all old fans of Iron Maiden. I'm up the front. This is going to be so good. Well, I'm just going to stand here and take this band in. It was easily one of the heaviest pits I've ever experienced. I got punched in the head and elbowed and kicked multiple times like I ended up squished so hard with my arms crossed against me. I, my whole body was tense, core flexed, legs stamped, gr- you know, in, grounded the whole time trying to not fall over wow. um, for the whole set. Came out dripping wet. Next day, couldn't walk. It was as if I'd just been like I had gotten in the ring. And um, my mate Dave got his neck put out. Like he got kicked in the head or something and tore his neck muscle and so when you yeah. say punched and kicked, is that like that's part of the mosh or was it like, yeah, yeah it wasn't assault? Kicking in the head was um, from people crowd surfing. Yeah, yeah. But then, no, people will just like run up to you. Uh, if it gets, you know, you yeah. know when people push and surge and then a circle opens up and there's a space, as soon as that happens, people either try and start running around yeah, yeah, in circles yeah. or they'll just run across it with an elbow up at the closest head they can get it to. And yours, if yours is there, you get smacked in the back of the head. And um, it's just, yeah. And I'm like, man, I thought everyone was just going to be a bunch. Of, this is going to be a bunch of fucking boomers, yeah. you know, with uh, long hair, just having a, having you know, a trip down memory lane. Well, ended up I had Osh on a couple of weeks ago and we we're just talking about metal. And I was saying like, you know, I sort of forget that metal is very closely aligned with the nerd movement. <laughs> like you think. It really is, yeah. But, but then again, it's not. I mean, there is that kind of level of aggression, you know, that comes with oh, certain man. kinds of metal, but. It is certain kinds of metal. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to no, say? No, no, that, 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 it's just, it's interesting because like, you know, on appearance, you know, when you listen to it, it sounds like, oh, this is super aggressive music. But then a lot of the time when you see the people who are listening to the music, you know, they are generally nerds or, you know, they're into it for the musicianship or, or, or whatever it is. But then, of course, there is just that kind of like aggression release crowd. Like new metal was probably the, you know, the the zenith of that kind of bro kind of, oh, you know, where like Limp Biscuit sort of seemed to kind of epitomize that idea of, oh, we're just going to like literally break stuff, you know. I mean, that's what happened at Woodstock 99 and then that, you know, tragic uh, big day out. And it's it's weird that I don't know. I've just I understand the idea of wanting to listen to music as a release, and there's nothing wrong with aggressive music. But uh, like, what's this idea with like you know you see those pits where it's like yeah, let's just run in and elbow a dude in the head. Like what? No, it it's just full on. It's like man, just go and you know practice some. 
martial arts. Get it out there. We just want to listen to the fucking music you're drunk. Like I, I went yeah. and saw a black metal band um, a couple of years ago here in Sydney. Um, they're from overseas. They're called Zeal and Ardor. And they're an amazing band. And I didn't know what to expect going in there. And seriously, it was the most passive thing I've ever experienced. Every, like it was the same. It was that. It was music nerds yeah. basically sitting there with their hands in their pockets, just all looking up and just nodding. Yeah, yeah. Like, Appreciating the music. <laughs> it's really good. It was great to see. But then on the flip side of that, I remember going to a big day out and seeing just Andrew WK of all people who I don't even know what he is. Is he a concept or is it actual music? I don't know. Studying, but the fucking circle, the mosh circle for that was like a hurricane, you know, just yeah. everybody around trying to fight and punch and it's just like this is just, you know, this is just meant to be fun music, not not even insightful towards violence. Well, so. it's, it's the irony, isn't it, of a lot of those bands, especially with the grunge movement, you know, you look at Pearl Jam or, or Nirvana and, you know, the kind of music they were making, they were outcasts and they were the kind of weird ones at high school and stuff. And they were making music that was, you know, anti-mainstream, anti-establishment. Yet as soon as it got popular, the people who adopted it as their music were yeah. the same guys who used to flush their heads down the toilet, you know? like I, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so funny to think of, um, you know, Nirvana now and, and how commodified it is. Like I remember being at a Target or a came out or something and seeing like Kurt Cobain's face on a t-shirt and I'm like holy shit oh, like our generation is completely irrelevant now we're just te- we just the th- stuff we're into is just tea towel fodder yeah but you know th- th- there's no way you can if you want to be successful and you know from everything I've read about Kurt Cobain he did want to be in the biggest band in the world but when you're in the biggest band in the world you don't get to choose who your fans are no, you don't. No, I think they, the same goes for comedians as well. You know, they, they, some of them just end up turning and hating on their audience. It's like, well, you are saying these things and you're going to attract a certain type of person when you're saying those sort of, you know, you made your bed champion. Like, what are you, don't turn on. This is also paying off your fucking house. So what are you going to do? So do you think, like, did you see that Jim Brewer clip that went up a couple of days ago? So, you know, Jim Brewer, the American yeah, comic. Yeah, no, no, what did he do? So he's all anti-vax now. Like he um, he got a bit of attention a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago. Impersonating different vaccines from different countries. That seems to be his MO, isn't it? Like what? doing different things. Oh, yeah. So he, <laughs> you well, know how he did that, that famous bit where he impersonates um, different drinks that he's drinking? Yeah, yeah. Does- well, he did. It was not actually dissimilar, the clip that got posted yesterday. So he's anti-vax. He... He got a bit of publicity on Fox News and stuff because he was saying, I'm not going to like, there's no vax mandates to my shows and I refuse to go to any state that, you know, uh, is going to have a vaccine mandate. And then um, someone posted a clip from him, you know, the comedy store or something like that, where he's doing his bit, but it's weird. It's almost like if you told me it was like his bit was, oh, I'm satirizing anti-vax comedians. You'd be like, oh, this is... Genius, because there's no actual jokes in what he's saying. He's just like, it's just a, a laundry list of complaints about, you know, the vaccinated and the vaccine movement. And, you know, he starts, it's, it's, he, he describes people who follow, blindly follow like the vaccine mandates as being like chickens or, or pigeons or something like that. And so then he starts impersonating a chicken, <laughs> like walking around on stage, just parodying, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. But it's, like it's, it's it's excruciating to watch once you kind of understand that oh no this is like this is his material this is his bit yeah. but then part of me is like well if you live in america and you know your career has stalled or it's a bit middling as a comedian if you just leaned into that like 
that Gutfield show, you know, that um, Fox News host who, who's got his own right-wing talk show and it's yeah. the number one rating talk show in America because he's just completely scooped the pool on the right-wing market. Yeah. Well, fucking maybe he's just doing that. And the thing is it's less work for him because he doesn't have to actually write any jokes. He just needs to complain about, you know, all those those hot-button issues. Yeah, well, that's also, I mean, if he is saying those, yeah, you're right. If you That, that seems to be a thing that you can do and get away with now with that whole um, you know, you're basically just saying back to the audience what they already want to hear, you know, with virtue signaling and whatnot and getting a round of applause and then you're seen as genius. And it's like, you're not genius. You just, you basically just quoted some fucking meme off the internet. And now you're, you know, you've found this larger, wider audience. It's just ridiculous. It's a little lazy, to be honest. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's way over my writing. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is interesting, isn't it? That like, the polarization of society now, and it does sort of feel like, you know, everyone's just sort of retreating to their own camps or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But you can legitimately have a career by pandering. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but I, I sort of felt like when we were coming up that you sort of had to have a bit more of a balanced view or, you know, you, you tried to, you know, you were trying to kind of accommodate lots of different points of view. But now if you want, if you want, you can literally just lean in and say, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna follow this line of thinking. These are my political beliefs. You know, this is the line I take, and you'll just lean into that, and that becomes your identity. Is oh, you're the you know left wing comedian, or you're the the right wing comedian. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be more on the right because it's so it's more rare. Like there's a lot, I'd say you know most people in the in the arts tend to sort of lean left anyway, but you know there seem to be a bunch of comedians who are like, and they always like name their shows like Triggered or Snowflakes or you know. <laughs> Uh, like cancelled or it's like oh, you know, just call it digging my heels in yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm unable to change and unwilling to change you know like that's that's basically all these fucking specials are at the moment you're so right it is it's everyone's all these older comics just going i'm just i refuse i'm going to yeah. dig my fucking in and this is the hill i'm going to die on i mean it's um, so ironic that like someone has a netflix special and it's called cancelled it's like you're on netflix <laughs> That's right. the biggest streamer in the entire world. How is that even possible? You fucking, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird landscape. But also I think that the reason everybody has retired to their own camps is that it's a lot easier to do so too. You know, mm. like you're able to protect yourself within your, uh, the confines of your own ideology because you're, if you're following all of these things on these social media platforms that cater their algorithm caters to the way that you want to think. You're not going to get an impartial view. Yeah. Like it is going to reaffirm everything that you were thinking to begin with and if not push you further down, um, you know, down that rabbit hole and further into that camp, encampment that you've sort of um, placed yourself. So it's, it's not, you can't have two-sided views and, and everyone's argument at the moment for things too, if you do state something um, that might be, it's not even like you were saying it as if you were you disagreed with the other person, but then you're shut down immediately with certain things. You know, of course, the 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 immediate one that I can think of is like, okay, boomer. It's like the new age talk to the hand. Like yeah. it's just, or you know, if you say something, someone might say, oh, you sound like a you sound like a white guy. Yeah. When you and you're just like, man, I'm no, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to see it from two sides of this. You know, I'm just like, well, maybe this is why and. But you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to say maybe. 
That's mm. uh, what I've seen. I think the best response to all this shit is just to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, I'm nervous now that I've even just fucking said that, Charlie. Yeah, like, no. I haven't even shown in what side I lean or anything, but I'm still like... Catch Cam next year with his new show, <laughs> Digging in My Heels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll just... Oh, damn it. Well, there goes my idea from a special called Slamming My Dick in the Door. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Like, it, it is that thing of... I mean, especially when I'm talking to younger, like, you know, I'm working on this show at the moment with like, you know, they're all teenagers and stuff. And A, I, I don't understand a lot of the stuff they're saying just in terms of cultural references and stuff like that. You know, I don't know. Are they talking about gaming? Are they talking about social media? Like they seem yeah. to be using certain lingo they don't understand. But also the kind of sensitivities around... You know, there may be stuff that I, I I try and be as, like, progressive and open-minded as I can be, but there's shit that I just am unaware of because, you know, I've got a young kid and I'm sort of in my own world and stuff, and I'm not meaning to, like, insult anyone. But it, it, sometimes you feel like even if your intention is not bad and you offend someone, there is the potential for you to be roasted even if you're not meaning to like to to, to cross a line or, or to insult someone like i do think a lot of it is in the response you know like people make mistakes and then they dig in their heels and that's when they get shredded yeah but i also think that that doesn't allow for people like i just don't think that if we rule out forgiveness and if we rule out kind of giving people leeway and really asking if someone was being intentionally malicious or intentionally ignorant, you know, in their statement. If we take all that out, then of course no one's going to pass the purity test. We had a, a listener on TOEFOP who messaged me quite angry to say that, you know, I, I'm always, I'm always like slagging off Queensland. I'm always making fun of Queensland. And cause I've spent, you know, quite a few months up there this year and it was such news to me because as far as I can recall, all I've said about Queensland this year has been positive because, you know, it gave me a home and I was discovering stuff about, you know, the area I was in that I didn't know anything about. And I mean, at one point, Jim and I were even like looking at apartment listings go, oh, you know, maybe we should get like a little investment property up here or something like that. So I don't know that I was, but then this woman had not cherry picked, but had you know, highlighted incidents in which I'd refer to it as like the wild, wild west or Australia's deep south or whatever. Right. I think that probably I did. I mean, definitely I did. But but in the wider context of what I was saying, it was yeah. probably like, oh, I thought that Queensland was like the wild, wild west. But as it turns out, you know, there's some really cool places there and I really enjoy, you know. But I think that once the yeah, effect- but also the wild, wild west does have cities in it like Dallas. <laughs> No, but on the greater area of Queensland, I mean, fucking hell, is she going to be listening? Don't email me, please. But there is, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of cattle farming, which you can associate to all of that. You know what I mean? There's these open plain cattle stations. Well, you've taken it very literally in my defence. I am. I'm <laughs> trying to save you here in a really nice way. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I was saying Wild Wild West and, like, anything goes. But right. that is true. <laughs> but I think you, you're going to be in denial if – you don't think that the Gold Coast, anything goes. I mean, like there are parts of the Gold Coast where it is just like, I mean, there's a reason why yeah, man, kids dude, go there for schoolies. I remember going to the Gold Coast, Not I don't know if it's still there, but in the mall next to a time zone was a shooting gallery. You could actually go and shoot, <laughs> shoot guns. guns. Yeah. Did I shoot a gun? Absolutely. Yes, I did. Like, but that's not, that's not that. just because your city has things that are, you know, uh, 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 that people make fun of doesn't mean there's, there isn't also great 
stuff. Like Adelaide cops heaps of shit all the time. Like Adelaide is, you know, they're always picked on for being Australia's most boring city. I love Adelaide. I've always had a good time when I'm in Adelaide. But at the same time, I can see what people are making fun of in the same way that I can see why people make fun of Melbourne for being pretentious and the weather being a bit shit or Sydney for being overpriced and for people being kind of wankers. Like, How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) All right, do Perth, do Perth. Um, Perth. Well, when you go to Perth, you've got to remember to set your watch back 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do make fun of Perth as well on the footy podcast. Like, we're always talking about, like, there's a certain haircut that everyone in Perth has, and it's the only yeah. place where Just Jeans thrives, and you can get yourself a shark's tooth necklace and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, when we're saying those jokes, it's like, yeah, but everyone in Perth is fucking good-looking and healthy, and, you know, it's paradise on Earth. I just yeah. think, yeah, people get people get sensitive over things. That's why, Cam, I'm digging in my heels. Digging in my heels, <laughs> yes. I copped it. I copped it after my first JFL spot went to air because I do a bit about going to this small country town and I named the town. And, like, it's all in jest. But also I was, re- I was literally retelling a thing that happened at this gig, which was me asking the half-empty theatre where um, the crowd was and a guy out the back responded with fucking jail. <laughs> and that is because a week prior to us arriving, a, a huge sting network came in and arrested a bunch of drug kingpins. So it was in a major event. And so it was very funny. And in the crowd, that audience, when that happened, it went off. And then I've returned to that town and retold that, and everybody thinks it's really funny as well. But then I still got these two people who uh, wrote letters to me just saying how I'll be, never be welcome in the town again and, um, you know, how dare I... That vaguely threatening if it's like a town that was filled yeah. with drug kingpins. Yeah, like right. you come here, you've got to end up in a fucking shallow grave. But, yeah. Um, but, again, I just wrote back going, listen, man, I'm from a small country town. You've got to learn to laugh at yourself. But I'm sorry if I offended you, I guess. Well, it's also that thing too with Australians... I find is a real contradiction. Australians love to present themselves as being like laconic and we love a joke and stuff, but also incredibly sensitive when anyone does like, you know, turn the microscope on them. Like I remember when the Simpsons did their Australian episode and like there was outrage, like people writing columns. I remember like letters to the editor and the age and stuff where people like, how dare they can't even do an Australian. We don't sound cockney. And it's like dickheads. (laughs) This show yeah. spoofs everyone. Like they yeah. make fun. They've got like an Indian Seven uh, Eleven owner who's been played by a white guy, and this is the thing that you're going to not anymore. <laughs> yeah, but, not yeah. anymore. Yeah, but uh, it, it, that's, how, that's how the Simpsons gets cancelled for taking on Australian Australia. culture. But, but I think <laughs> it. Like I thought it was hilarious. Like the way we are this kind of like weird sort of <laughs> little colonial outpost where the you know the prime minister's on a in a rubber tube drinking beer, Andy. Prime Minister Andy. Andy! <laughs> and, like, we sledge each other so hard and we can, you know, but the second anyone else does it, we get we can get really offended by it or if someone... It's so funny, like, whenever you, you can... It is quite a generic thing to do to shit on another town or shit on a city or mm. um, a place. You know, I, I guess, again, you've got to be mindful of whether or not you're punching down or whatever, but I think with comedy is you're allowed to, you know, punch sideways at least. <laughs> Love, Australians love punching sideways. That's know? a good question, though. Like, if someone from Sydney or Melbourne is making fun of the Gold Coast, is that punching down or is that punching sideways? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. It depends. If we said that we were punching sideways, the Gold Coast might get offended. Why is it? 
why is it punching sideways? Why isn't it punching up? Where are we are north? Yeah, but also, but also it's like you know, two years ago it might have been punching down, but Queensland has bloody set the Boom. standard for like you know how to hand, handle the pandemic. If anything, like they'd be punching down if they're making fun of Melbourne, Melbourne or Sydney. So the tables have turned, and that's Cam why I'm digging in my heels. <laughs> digging in my heels. He's uh, I've signed a three three show. Three show deal with Netflix. Climbing my dick in a door, digging in my heels, and punching sideways. <laughs> punching snowflakes sideways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, all right. I think that's enough. I, I was going to get to this Guns and Roses article, but I feel like we've oh, done sorry. it. Sorry. No, no, no. Get to it. Get to it. We got really off topic. <laughs> should there. we just yes. close? Should we close with this article? Yes. Let's. We need to wrap it up. There might be people listening that need to know where you went with that. Sorry. Okay. All right. All right. So this Guns and Roses article, the headline is, it was a blast. It's blast furnace heap, and then it got worse. This is by Martin Bolton from The Age a couple of years ago. Uh, for a teenager attending their first big rock and roll show, this was a doozy. 16-year-old Natalie Pistana was amongst 75,000 people at Calder Park for the notorious gig that sparked a Victorian ombudsman's report that left Guns N' Roses fans like Natalie among those who can proudly say I was there in 93. So I think I was 15. So me and Natalie, it sounds like, were right in the target demographic when, when this happened. Yeah. In the sweltering heat nudging 40 degrees in the last day of January, and I remember that because it was the night before the first day of school, first day of year 10. Yeah. Guns N' Roses delayed their arrival on stage by several hours, I remember that as well, following a torrential downpour that left fans with nowhere to shelter and stage crews scrambling to mop up. Um, this week, ahead of the band's much-anticipated MCG performance, Miss Pistana told Fairfax Media she clearly recalls standing with her friend near the sound desk, a huge construction with speakers, in the stinking hot weather until an afternoon thunderstorm lashed the crowd. So that's my memory as well. Like, it was one of those Victorian days where it was dry heat, no breeze. Yeah. And then when the rain came, it was torrential rain, but then it was freezing. Like, And everyone was in, like, singlets and shorts because it was summer. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no sun to dry us off, so we were damp for the rest of the night, she said. Once Gunners finally came out, we forgot our misery and had a brilliant time. It was my first big concert, so not a bad introduction to the world of live music. I think it was my second or third concert. I think I'd seen prior to that um, John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> <laughs> and Midnight Oil, I think, were, oh, uh, wow. I'd seen before that. Yeah. Four years after touring on the back of the debut album Appetite for Destruction, which had sold 30 million copies, the infamous LA rock band was at the height of their powers. Two new albums, Use Religion 1 and 2, had been released. And two years later, fans like Miss Pastana paid $50 each for a general admission ticket to Calder Park. Seems 50 like a bucks? Bargain, doesn't it? That is. I spent $700. To see Gunners? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just put that on microphone, on a mic <laughs> on record. <laughs> so that yeah. was, but that you must have been like front, like section yeah, A. Front yeah, yeah. But I still had to pay for the frosty fruit. <laughs> How Natalie. How was Natalie to know, long before her mum stood in line for hours to buy her tickets, that more than a thousand people would be treated for heat-related illness, fans would battle dehydration and hypothermia, and public transport would fail to get thousands of tired and hungry fans home? So what they did is they set up a shuttle bus. So you arrived at Flinders Street Station, and then they'd shuttle you to Calder Park, which is sort of like out in the Geelong Highway, about 40 minutes. But 75,000 people, and it felt like there's three buses. <laughs> so, you know, taking people like 150 at a time. Yeah. It was inadequate public transport, overpriced food and drink, too few toilet facilities, and overall failure of the site and event staff to adequately deal with the conditions on the day that led the ombudsman's investigation, which in a positive note found that police dealt with about a half a dozen patrons, all of whom were outside the venue. 
Bass player Duff McKagan would recall years later seeing a fucking sea of people as he and longtime bandmates Axel Rose and Slash belted through hits. Hang on. Hang on. Uh, that just sounds like he's come to. Yeah. From a blackout. Yeah. And he's just like on stage like, what the fuck? Oh, there's a fucking sea of people. And then, what am I doing here? Who put me here? They just shuffled him on in the middle of this drunken blackout. Sorry. It was a big, huge gig, said McKagan. You don't really oh, know no. how to take it all in. Well, I remember in Slash's book as well, him talking about why he was a heroin addict. And, you know, I don't know if this is an adequate justification, but he would say, try coming back off tour when you've nightly been playing to 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 people. And then the tour bus drops you off at your house and you're meant to just go into your couch and, you know, sit down, what, play golf, play play golf the next day. Like that's going to match the adrenaline, the feeling you had when you're on stage. I love also the way that um, Duff described it as a big, huge gig proving why he doesn't write the songs. For <laughs> yeah. But I uh, like I think I read in one of the biographies about the Gunners, uh, I, I, I don't know if it was um, the drummer or something, when they first made their huge whack of cash off Appetite, um, they'd been on the road for so long um, touring and they, they finally got this huge amount of money. They bought themselves houses and the drummer didn't know how to live outside of his bedroom because they'd all lived in share houses and stuff together. And so he just had partially furnished his bedroom pretty much the same way with the same shit that he had from this, you know, share house, probably a fucking filthy mattress with God knows spilt all over it, propped up by milk crates or something, his drum kit in the fucking corner and, you know, just whatever. And the rest of the house was empty. Like he just didn't know how to furnish it. You well, know? I think that was the same book I read. Was that where Slash was talking about how they just completed yeah. the Use Your Illusion tour and they got back and their accountant said, hey, you made tons of money, but because Axel was so late getting to stage each night, you've paid so much in overtime and penalties and stuff like that. You're actually in debt. You need to go back on the road. You need to go back on the road. Yes. (laughs) They're just on like a year of touring. They got home for like a week and had to go back on the road because Axel couldn't bloody start on time. It would be so weird. It would be be so weird to come home from that. Like, you know, 50,000 people, you're still, your ears are still ringing and then you just sat in your house by yourself. You wouldn't know what to do. No wonder. No wonder you do drugs. Well, it's like those dudes who like those Red Bull, you know, you see those guys in the, what are the flight suits? You know, the ones where they'll just jump off a cliff. And I've watched so many of those like GoPro footage and it's so incredible. And I'm like, wow, this would be an amazing feeling. Uh, And then I want to do that so bad. Well, in my head, I'm like, but then where do you go? Like, that's like playing to 75,000. Like you come home, like sex wouldn't be any good. Food would taste shit. (laughs) Just like, give me the needle. (laughs) Chris Richard was uh, a day off starting his final year of high school and recalls a pretty good vibe amongst the crowd despite enormous cues. I seem to remember that as well. Like we were a bit intimidated as 15-year-olds because there's a lot of like real tatted up, you know, before tats are cool, like bogan tatted up people there. But I don't recall being like threatened or anything. It was blast furnace heat and then it got worse the closer you got to Calder Park. It was unbelievably hot and we knew the weather was going to change at some stage and that was going to make life interesting. You could see the weather coming. Lightning was going off in the distance. The temperature dropped to about 15 degrees in a matter of minutes. I remember that. And it went from people baking the sun to shivering and then everything turned into mud. It was a long day. I mean, it was, I think my memory was there was th- four acts. It was Pearls and Swine, Rose Tattoo, Skid Row. Oh, and Skid Row. Skid Row, yeah, Sebastian Bach, and then Guns N' Roses. Because I remember Sebastian Bach, like, 
his whole thing was he would just do like I haven't seen you don't see it much these days, but vocal solos yeah. where he would just go out at the front of the stage and be like, wah, wah, and just like do scales <laughs> and shit. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, support acts, Pearls and Swan, Rose Tattoo, and Skid Row all played. The latter putting on a decent show, according to Miss Pistana, who admits everything was really about uh, backing the music until Guns N' Roses came on. Matthew O'Loughlin, then 22, arrived at the venue at 5pm with two friends. He recalls it being one of the hottest days in the world <laughs> and seemingly the constant sound of ambulance sirens wailing, attending to those suffering from heat and minor injuries. He said Guns N' Roses were pretty good. <laughs> oh, you 22-year-old shit. And looks back fondly on the day regardless of the tough conditions. Best on ground with Skid Row's drummer. I <laughs> love this dude. When I'd said, like, metal fans are nerds, this guy. Yes, yeah. Best on ground with Skid Row's drummer, who jumped over his drum kit when singer Sebastian Bach was saying, Melbourne, you rock, we'll be back again, and then pulled his pants down. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that gets a BOG. Just mooning an audience. I don't remember oh. that. Uh, I'll take that one to my grave, which I thought I'd see sometime that afternoon. All right, he's won me over a lot. There you go, yeah. Very good. As the final notes from Slash's guitar rang out and fireworks lit up the sky, Chris Richards and his friends darted to the car park where a few buses were quickly filling with fans eager to flee the scene. Our bus driver had the radio on and Guns N' Roses came on. Everyone was yelling, turn it up, turn it up. So the blaster drive that he said, everyone was covered in mud and singing along to the song. Heading to the car park was one of the smarter things we did. As for starting year 12 the next day, Mr. Richards admits, I can't remember any of it. <laughs> That's the same. We had like school photos the next day. I remember I turned up with like an hour of sleep. Wouldn't change a thing. Um, it was well worth it. They're great showmen with a massive bloated stage show and they were very, very good. That's right. That's the other thing. It was very spinal tap. They had two giant inflatable monsters. You know, the appetite from destruction monsters, yeah. the like the, the robot yeah. and, the, and the monster. Like robot. Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my memories of it. Um, anyway, it's a bit late. We should have probably read the no, article when we're talking glad, about no, cancer. I'm glad races. we did it. I'm glad we got there in the end. And I did want to know how your school, how you were at the next day at school. Like, did you still have mud in your hair when you were doing photos? Or yeah, I remember. No, we we got because our parents were freaking out because this is before mobile phones, and we had told them because the show was meant to finish at like eleven, so we told them we'd be home at midnight, and it was like three or four a.m. by the time we got back. So our parents were waiting for us at. Flinders Street Station freaking out because, <laughs> wow. like, you know, yeah. and then bus loads of people getting off and how you meant to find them and, you know, this is the meeting spot. I think it was the old Fed Square site. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a lot. You're grounded and your ears are ringing so hard. You're just like, yeah, it was great. Well, the it's, it's like you're saying, you know, now that I've been through that, like when Iona wants to go to her first concert, I'm like, oh, my God. If there's anything like that one I went to, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a nightmare. Also, when you when you do get a taste of your first triple A pass, oh yeah, Never watching the side of stage, it's just like I don't know, man. This is nice. I can I can go to the toilet whenever I want. They're cleaned, you know, on every hour. There's free drinks. Well, the it's last just- time I saw Guns N' Roses, I just got tickets in the seated section, and I was so happy with that. I didn't stand once. I just sat there and listened to the music. I might as well have been at home watching a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Cam, thank you so much for doing the show. Where can people find you? Uh, you can catch me on uh, on on Instagram. I am Cam Knight. It's the same handle for TikTok, which I've just been on. If you want to watch some sketches and stuff like that, um, predominantly, you know, bottle shop oriented. But uh, yeah, 
And uh, there's gigs coming up, but I'll, I can announce. I don't know when you're going to do this, are you? I'll this be around is, town. Is, I'm in Sydney. I'm gigging predominantly around Sydney. This is so. coming out in a couple of days, so it's, yeah, all, it's cool. all very current. I'll put links in the episode description below. Uh, and uh, let me promote some TOEFOP stuff. Can you go to TOEFOP.com? You can sign up for our newsletter so you never miss any of the updates or episodes that are coming out. And go to our YouTube channel and check out. Uh, our, uh, we've got clips of every show each week. And if you want to support the show, patreon.com uh, slash TOEFOP. That's the best way to support the show. And you can watch full videos of Will and I doing TOEFOP. Not really visual. And don't, and don't guys, don't buy any of the rip-off Fosdyke yeah. stuff. Go full price yeah. and pay for the real thing. Go to there Redbubble. I'm actually, as next to the article, the Guns N' Roses article, I've just got a targeted ad and it's a TOEFOP hoodie, which is weird. You're selling to the wrong guy. Come on. Come on, <laughs> AI. Get over it. I'm Charlie Clawson. Uh, I'm Cam Knight. Thank you.